So, uh, good morning, everyone. It really is good to see you all. If you are um, a well of lifer, I want to say it's good to see your faces. I know that there are, it's a school holiday started yesterday. So, for all our kids that are on holiday, well done. We've well done on a good year of work. Well done. The question is, are homeschoolers on holiday yet? Are they, are they on holiday, Jackie? Yeah. Yeah. They're on holiday. Okay, well then for the homeschoolers as well, wonderful. It's, um, what it means, obviously, is that a number of people are going to take this opportunity to leave Dubai in its most glorious moment when it's warm and sunny every day, and they're going to go to shores that are raining and other things. But, uh, so over this time, lots of people are going to be away, and I'm sure some of you are going to go away. Who's still planning to get away over the summer at some point? Just raise your hand for a second. Who is here? Who's here the whole summer? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we want to bless you people. We really do. Like you're going to hold down the fort. And so people are coming and going. And um, we really we want to trust that when you get away, you're going to have a time, a restful time. With those that are getting to connect with family again, that's going to be significant for you. If you are here over the summer, there's lots of different things happening. We obviously meet every Friday. The life groups aren't officially running. Some might still get together for social events. But we are having some movie nights here at the well. We're going to have a family day towards the end of the summer as well in one of the air-conditioned sports halls and things like that. And so keep your eyes open to see whenever we are together and, uh, and get together with people. You know, use this opportunity when there isn't so much stuff going on, then why not have people um, over at your place? So it's lovely being a family, isn't it? And we've got some family business that we're going to get to the end. We've got a baby dedication to do today as well. We unfortunately praying somebody out the life of the church, but there are some other things going on as well. Matt and Cannon. Welcome back. Won't you guys stand up for a second? So you may or may not know. Do you want to reenact it for us? Because it's on video and it's been at the public forum. Matt has uh, um, asked Cannon to marry him. And he's got himself the biggest diamond ring. It's about, the diamond's about this big I've ever seen. And uh, he's uh, proposed to his, uh, his lovely fiance, Cannon. And so they are now engaged. And we congratulations, guys. God bless you. And so, uh, yeah, you can catch up with them afterwards. And uh, it's also uh, Anastasia's birthday. So uh, we just want to wish her a happy birthday. It's upstairs. And so we just, uh, who else has got a birthday on this week? June's been a blooming popular time for birthdays. Anyone had a birthday this week gone by? Who's that? Reuben, happy birthday, buddy. Happy birthday to you. And Stuart as well. Oh, happy birthday, guys. We celebrate with you. And uh, we had Shayla's farewell this week as well. She's heading off to California soon to go study and uh, lots of stuff going on in the life of the church. One of the things that does happen over this time as well is that God often brings people to come in and visit. Um, they, they, they knew they were coming into the city. They come over the summer. We arrived in August in 2011. And it's when they are most often looking for villas and looking for where their kids are going to go to school and looking for places where they can do community. And so I really trust that we will be this incredibly warm and receiving community for anybody that comes in as a visitor. And if you are here this morning as a visitor for the first time, we want to give you a really warm welcome. So if, you'd, if you are here for the first time, why don't you just raise your hand just for a moment so we can warmly welcome you. Welcome. It's really good to have you with us. Really good to have you with us. And if, uh, if you don't yet have a welcome pack, someone will put one of those in your hands. And inside that welcome pack is a, a card. And if you could fill it in, drop it at the connect table, someone will get hold of you this week. Okay, good. 
Let me just grab my water. So we are continuing our Resident Alien series that we've been doing now for um, three weeks. And we've seen, we've, we've uh, met Abraham, a man who was building towards heaven. He didn't build a kingdom in this earth. Uh, his life from all human perspective might have looked like a failure, but actually he was building something incredible in heaven. Then we looked at Joseph who lived towards heaven. His failures and his successes were measured not by this world, but by where he was going. And uh, I love that part about Joseph that he wouldn't let his bones be buried in Egypt. It's so, it's so opposite of the Egyptians. What the Egyptians would do is they would build these massive pyramids as testimonies to their lives as a way of establishing their immortality. And Joseph does the opposite. He says, don't let my bones be buried here. They need to be carried to the promised land. 470 years later, he was buried in Canaan. And even then, he was looking forward to something else. And then we came across Ruth, who was um, a lady, an outsider, a foreigner, who chose to become a part of this heavenward journey. And, uh, excuse me, as uh, many of us, in fact, I hope most of us have done, through the covenanting with God, we become a part of this journey. And today we're going to look at Jesus. If Abraham built towards heaven, if Joseph lived towards heaven, if um, Ruth chose a heavenward journey, Jesus instructs us or gives an example to us to represent heaven on earth. There is this future that we're going to, but somehow it has to be represented here. It has to be um, shown off here. And uh, this tent is representative of our, our temporary nature of our dwelling here. But if the lights are off, you'll see that there's a lantern in there. And you kind of get this picture of somebody who's hiking somewhere, and they see this tent shining in the distance, like the Bible calls us to be a city on a hill. And the light that's inside us is not our light and our glory, but the glory of God and it's pointing towards him. And we see that lived out in the life of Jesus. So John 1.14, if you've got your Bibles, we're just going to preach from that one verse today. And it says this, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the Son of the Father, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the amplified version of the Bible, which is just literally like his name implies, it amplifies the words, says this, And the word Christ became flesh, human, incarnate, and tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, and lived a while among us. And we actually saw his glory, his honor, his majesty, such glory as, can, as an only begotten son receives from his father, full of grace, favor, loving kindness, and truth. So I'm thinking of a word. Can you tell me what it is? Anyone? No, that's not the word. Anyone else? Happiness, that's not the word. So come on, guys, guess. Huh? Love, no. The word I'm thinking of is transparent. You say, well, Rob, how the heck are we supposed to figure out that you want what you're thinking? And the truth is, unless I tell you, unless I communicate with you, you can't know what's going on in my mind. You can guess a million words and may never stumble upon the word. And that's kind of what John is talking about in this passage when he says the word became flesh because in becoming flesh, we see that God communicates with us. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God to us. He's communicating as emphatically as he possibly can with us. And in the life of Jesus, we see not only who God is, but also his plan of salvation for people. I, I thank God for his general revelation. If, who's ever seen the Himalaya Mountains? If you've seen those and you don't believe there's a God, I think there's something wrong with you. I mean, 
I see this man, I think, man. And, and there's so much in creation that points towards the fact that there is a God. And, and I think most people, even though atheism seems to be widespread, I, I think in part it's because people want to worship money and sex, and so they're hoping there's no God. But most people that are honest will believe that there's a God, there must be a God. Yeah, you, you hold your child for the first time, and, and you're and you, like, can you believe it? Like, this is unbelievable. You go, there must be a God, you know? Or you come home from work, and your husband's prepared dinner, and you go, there must be a God. But that's just general revelation. That's completely different to special revelation that comes through Jesus actually explicitly expressing to us who God is. And so he can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And much more than that, in his birth, in his perfect life, his sinless life, his death upon the cross, which he was prophesied about and which he prophesied about, his um, resurrection and his ascension, we see there the work of God for our salvation. And so Jesus says things as, as explicitly as this, there is no way to the Father except through me that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, uh, and it becomes God's, God's communicating. He's, it's Jesus is this megaphone uh, uh, addressed to a fallen world that this is who I am, this is my plan of salvation, and this is how you need to respond to me. Not only is it, is he, is it God's communication, but it's our confession as well. The incarnation, Christ becoming flesh, is one of those those concepts in the Bible that it's, it's hard to understand, and there are a few of them, I admit it. The idea of God being three and yet one, difficult to understand. I, I, and, but wouldn't it be surprising, though, if we worshipped a God that we could completely understand? If there was, if there was nothing in Scripture that we'd go, like, like, somehow I can grasp, I sound like American for a moment, somehow I can grasp a hold of this thing, I can, I, can, I can grasp it but, I, but it, but it sticks out of my brain. My brain doesn't have enough room. My understanding doesn't have enough room to just get it all in. It, it go, I know it goes beyond that. And the incarnation's like that. And from the very beginning, they've disputed what it meant. Some people said, well, he was, he was like, a, like a vision of a man, like, like a ghost or something. Or he was a, a human body but didn't have a human soul. Or there was... There was the human body, but the divine nature in, inside the human body, but he wasn't, you know, they mixed him together. And, and the unbeliever says, well, what a load of rubbish. He was just an ordinary man. He was a, a good man and a good teacher, but just an ordinary man, like all of us, prone to failure and weakness as well. But the Bible says that's absolute nonsense. It says that Jesus was like us, born of a woman, though miraculously born of a woman who was a virgin from the seed of God, that he was um, hungry, he was tired, he drank, he slept, he ate, he, um, he rejoiced, he was amazed at times, he got angry, he had compassion on people, he read the scriptures, he prayed, he submitted his will to the will of the Father. In his human body, he really did die upon the cross, Jesus God-man died upon the cross. He really did bleed out. He really did get put into a grave. He really rose from the dead, and he really ascended to the Father. And all the while in this, um, in this uh, mystery of him being completely human and able to represent us, he remains completely divine as well. Jesus is not half a man and half a God, like, 
like the top half of him is God and the bottom half of him is man or something like that, or the physical is human and the, the inside. He had a soul like we have. He has a soul like we have a soul. And he is, he, he is completely and utterly human. The Hebrew says he was made like his brothers in every way that he might be our compassionate high priest. But he remains 100% God as well. And uh, our salvation is... It uh, depends upon us acknowledging this. See, it's like I've said this before, that there's a, there's a soccer player that plays for Manchester City. I, I don't know if he actually plays for them anymore, called Jesus Navas. And when it says that all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved, it doesn't mean Jesus Navas. It means Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus our Messiah. This God who became a man who died in our place upon the cross, that confession of faith matters. And so it says in 1 John 4 verse 2, this is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And so the second article of the Church of England's kind of articles <laughs> says it like this. The Son, which is the Word of the Father, begotten from everlasting of the Father, the very and eternal God and of one substance with the Father, took man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin of her substance, so that the two whole and perfect natures, that is to say the Godhead and the manhood, were joined together in one person, never to be divided, whereof is one Christ, very God and very man. That is our confession. And uh, it becomes our continuing commission. Not, it's God's communication, our confession, and our continuing commission that we go ahead and proclaim it. Have you ever heard it said, of the church or of you as a believer, that you are the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, that's what it's talking about, that we, we continue to be this manifestation of Christ on earth as we proclaim this message. And in Romans chapter 10, it says this, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? I mean, that's an important thing to ask. I mean, how can people call on Jesus? And then it goes and says, and how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's what we've been commissioned with. In God communicating and us confessing, we now receive a commission to carry this same message on. The message Christ preached when he was on earth. There were times when they said to Jesus, stay with us, stay in this town. It's, I mean, it'd be really, imagine Jesus, we wouldn't want him to ever leave our church. Eh? Jesus, you're not our guest preacher, you take over. He has the pastor's badge. He has you, you everything. Just be it. Like, and he, I can't stay. I've got to go preach in other places. I've got to go there and preach there and preach there. And, and he gives that commission to us as well that we'd actually go and carry this message wherever we go. It's inside of us and needs to be spoken. Every wife knows and every husband knows that communication isn't just the words that's spoken. Am I right? So when you come home and your wife stand there like this, and you come in and you, and you open the door and you go, hey, honey. She goes, hi. And you go, um, how are you doing? And she goes, I'm fine. You know she's not fine. How do you know? Because of the way she's standing and the tone of her voice. When a woman says to her, I'm fine, well, actually, actually, to be honest, if a woman says, I'm fine, even with the best of voices, you know something's wrong. Hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. That is code language for, I'm not telling you what's wrong. You've got to figure it out. But it's, something is wrong. But if she says, I'm very happy, thank you very much. You know she's not happy. 
you can tell by the tone of the voice there's, there's something that gets expressed, not just in the words that are spoken, but in how they are spoken. And it goes on in the scripture to say that uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. And so God doesn't just proclaim the word. He doesn't f- like, I mean, God could have had airplanes invented at any point. And so he could have flown over Israel and the Middle East and the whole known Rome. They could have just dropped flyers from heaven like this. <sighs> Comes down. God, you know, this is like a track from heaven. This is how you have to be saved. He could have done that. No, no. He came and he dwelt among us. And uh, Eugene Peterson, in, in his paraphrase of the Bible, they're called the message. It's not a translation. It's actually a paraphrase. He says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that cool? God, for 33 years, moved into the neighborhood. I want you to think about um, what is, well, that, let me first go there. The translation, actually, the word actually means that he pitched a tent. That's what, when it says that he dwelt among us, it means he, he pitched a tent. It's the same word that's used in the Old Testament for the tabernacle. That, uh, you, you remember the tabernacle that gets built? So Moses is given an instruction to build a place where God can meet with his people. And in this tabernacle, there's this, um, you guys know what the tabernacle looks like. Eh? So it's got this massive fence that runs around and it's actually a curtain. And on the east side, the curtain opens up and, and you've got these doors so you can enter into this courtyard. And right before you is this, uh, is this bronze altar. And that's the altar that they would slaughter the lambs upon. And then you go past the altar and there's this bronze laver, which is for cleansing. And all the washing and stuff would be done there. And even the washing of the parts of the animal before they were put upon the altar. And then in front of you, once you pass that, is this, is this um, tent, literally the tabernacle that's before you. And you would open the curtains and you would go. And if you, if you stood in the tabernacle, if you were there now, you would see straight ahead of you would be the altar of incense. And it was burning continually, forever before God, this incense. And to the right of you would be the table of showbread. And to the left, the golden lampstand. And if you were the high priest, once a year you went beyond that place. And you actually opened up the curtain, the same curtain in the temple that would be torn when Jesus died. You opened that up and you went into the most holy place. And in that place was the Ark of the Covenant. See, I'm feeling emotional. I feel like I'm in the holy place right now. And, um, and on it had, the, had the, the cherubim with their, with their wings stretched out like this. It touched from point to point across like this. And, and on top of the Ark, which is wood covered with gold, was what is called the mercy seat or the atonement cover, upon which once a year the blood was sprinkled to make atonement for God's people. And inside the Ark is the... Um, is the the tablets of the law, the jar of manna that was collected, and, and Aaron's rod that had budded. And uh, when God says that he dwelt among us, when John writes that he uses the same word for the tabernacle, for the tent, for, to describe what took place there. And the, one of the things that God called for us to do if we're going to represent heaven on earth is to be present. Do you know, like sometimes um, some of the advice they give to fathers is when you're there, be there. You know what I'm saying? Like, like some dads are there, but they're reading their newspaper. Or these days you'd be reading your iPad or whatever it is. And so the kids are around you, but you don't even see them. You're not, kids are talking. You're not hearing them. It's like the advice is put the newspaper down and, and be present in the moment. Hasht, uh, Shayla, wherever we went in, in Zimbabwe, was, was hashtagging be present. Be present. Live, live in the moment. And God wants us to hashtag be present. Think about when you moved to Dubai. Can you remember that? For some of you, it was so long ago. It's now become a blur. But um, 
for many of us, it's within the last number of years. And I can remember coming across here, leaving behind a culture I knew to come into a culture I didn't know. We had to go find a home and buy cars and figure out licenses. And it was the little things like, where do I go buy? St- where's the hardware to buy stuff? Like you walk into this thing called Ace, and it's like a, there's nothing in there of any worth. Like, that's not a hardware store. I want to go buy screws and bag, you know, and cutting things and hammering things. And, and so you, but you, it takes time, but you, I moved, we moved in. We've got an Australian living on the one side of us and an Australian living on the other side of us. Shame. And we've got, um, we've got um, uh, a Muslim family, Indian Muslim family living across the compound from us and Emiratis living all around us. We, we literally, we move into the neighborhood. And the tabernacle, when God established it, it actually became a div- divinely appointed meeting place for God to meet with man. And when God calls us to tabernacle, he wants us to become that divinely appointed meeting place between God and men. So when, when people encounter us as the gathered church as we are today, or they encounter us as the scattered church on our bicycle, in our offices, on the playground, teaching in classrooms, learning in classrooms, they should be, that's an opportunity for them to meet God because you are present. There's something so significant about just being in a place. It's like God has said, well, if, and I've, I felt this from the very beginning here. I remember the one time walking around the neighborhood and the, some of those walls are, are high. Hey? I think, Lord, how do we ever impact the people that live behind these walls? I mean, I feel like if I even went and knocked on the gate, I might be shot. You know, how do you get in there? It's like, how do we change this city? How do we change this nation? And I don't know, four or five years ago, I felt God say, be present, be there. In Joshua, God says to me, everywhere you sit your foot, I will give to you. There's something about us being in the city. Just I'll get on to the, what goes beyond this, but just being here that makes a difference. We have to have what I call a theology of place. Acts 17 Verses 26 and 27, this amazing scripture says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And how's this? And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should be, or where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps re- reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. There's a story of the Moravians, two men in particular, John Dober and David Nitschman. And they were trying to preach the gospel to the slaves. And they couldn't get access to these slave workers. And uh, the, the, the myth is that they actually sold themselves into slavery to preach the gospel. They, they were willing to. They, they wanted to, but they weren't allowed. They, wouldn't, they were not allowed to be sold into slavery. But they, they took up manual labor and went. They managed to get their own ship and go to the lands where the slaves were. And they preached the gospel amongst them. It's this idea of being present. You can't preach the gospel unless you're present there. It's not just our words, it's our lives as well. It's a neighbor that looks over the fence and sees your family. It's the, the person who is in need of help and knocks on your door and you, you're quickly willing to help. It's the, it's the moment when the, I got a message from one of Hannah's friend's fathers messaged me, and this family have been quite resistant. But when the daughter sleeps at a house, no matter what, they'll pick her up for church. They do not want her to go to church with us. I don't know what it is, what experience they had, but they're absolutely determined that their daughter will not go to church. Even though they love Hannah and they think she's amazing, there's obviously the, the fullness of that weirdness hasn't taken over Hannah yet, whatever it is. And then out of the blue, after their Manchester bombing with um, that concert, 
at that concert, he, uh, the father sends me a message and says, please, will you do me a favor? Would you mind praying for the victims of the bombing and for the families that have been left behind? You see, we're just present here, and God begins to do his work. But it's not just being present. It's also representing as well. When John says we have seen his glory, he uses a Greek word called themoi, and it's a word we get our English word theater from. We have seen his glory. It's like his glory is on stage. His glory has been displayed. And God calls us to display the glory of Jesus Christ as well, the glory of God the Father. We to put him on display. That's what should happen on a Friday here. Jesus should be put on display. You should, we hope when visitors visit our church and, and really welcome, but we hope that it's not the coffee that you remember when you leave here, though it's good. We hope it's not even the, the music that you remember or the unbelievable preaching that impacts upon you. We hope what you remember more than anything is Jesus. We hope he's put on display and it's that that people uh, get impacted by. And so we demonstrate him in the proclamation of the truth, which I've spoken about. Friends, we have to be ready to share the gospel when the opportunity comes. We put him on display in our unity and our love for one another. You know, the Bible says, you know, how, do you know has anyone ever been, no, no, don't answer this question, but if you've ever been a part of a cult, one of the things, <laughs> one of the things you'll know is one of the ways they get you in is by being unbelievably friendly to you. They, they, they pay such incredible attention to you. And so that kind of care and love is not the, the exclusive domain of the church. And we don't do it because we're trying to win people in. We do it because God is perfect community. God is perfect unity in community. Before he created anything else, before he created anything, God was in community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit lived in perfect community for all eternity past and will live in perfect community for all eternity forward. And we are created in his image. And so when we live in community, we are, we are displaying who God is. And that's why one of our values is inauthentic community. And it's not, it's not about like, um, I don't know, so we can Instagram how community we are. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, friends, this is how we reflect the glory of God. This is how we put Christ on display. When somebody's in trouble, you're there for them. When you're praying for somebody and you're sending them a text message and say, this is what I've got for you. When you see, you come on a Friday and you see somebody you haven't seen for a while and you, and you embrace, and it's so good to see. And you, it's genuine, sincere love and affection for one another. Robbie is an unbelievable hugger. When, whenever I get a chance to greet him, he comes in, he puts his arm around, he gives me like this hugger. I feel like, man, I feel loved when he hugs me. And, and I know it's a sincere in his heart is to, is to put his love upon me. That's what, that's not for, an, it's not an act. It's not to tick off a box. It's to display the glory of Christ. Jesus said in, in John 17, and he's praying his high priestly prayer. He says this, I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. He goes on and says this, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity, listen to this, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. In our unity, the world sees God. And lastly, in the demonstration of his power, uh, Charles Spurgeon says this beautiful thing. He says, Jesus is not the tabernacle without power. He, in the same way that where, where the tabernacle was, God's manifest presence was found as uh, we represent Christ, his manifest presence should be here. And so go to the next slide. The tabernacle is actually a picture 
that I spoke to you about of different aspects of who Christ is. They, they should be seen in, in us. He should be seen in us as we live. We should demonstrate him. The, the, the altar of sacrifice is, represents the lamb who was crucified. The, the bronze laver where the cleansing takes place is the, the blood that washes us as white as snow. The, um, the, bread of, the show, table of showbread is Jesus, the bread of life. The golden lampstand, Jesus, the light. The table of the, or the altar of incense that forever, we sing that song, day and night, night and day, let your incense arise. That's what it's speaking of. And it reminds us that Christ forever intercedes for us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I, I sent some messages out this morning to Sandy preaching at Silicon Oasis and Leroy preaching at Rack and, and Joy leading worship at Silicon Oasis. I'm praying right now, I'm praying for you. But imagine knowing that right now, Christ is praying for you. In that moment when things are tough, he's praying for you, he's interceding for you. The turn cor- tur- torn curtain is Christ our way. The, the um, ark made of wood and gold speaks of the two natures of Christ. The, the mercy speed speaks of his atoning blood that, uh, that pardons us from our sin. The, the, ins- the contents of the ark, the, the, f- the tablet, the fulfillment of the law, the manna, Christ our sustenance. And the branch, the, the, the rod speaks of Christ, our branch, both the root and the branch of David. Everything is pointing towards Jesus Christ. So we do, um, we do continue this commission of communicating who God is and his plan of salvation. We to be present and represent Christ. And then it goes on and says this, that he came full of grace and full of glory. And again, I think sometimes people think, well, Jesus was probably 70% full of grace and, and uh, sorry, grace and truth and 30% full of truth. But actually we know that he was 100% full of grace and 100% full of truth. Those, the grace and truth never fight against each other in God. It's not like inside of God, this, like this, you know, that picture on the two shoulders, like this, on one shoulder, it's like this going, yeah. No, 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 you must, um, you must punish them because they've done something wrong. And then Grace is on the other shoulder going, no, no, come on, man, he's such a good guy. Let's let him off like this. That isn't how it happens. Grace and truth are married together in Christ. They, they, um, it says in the one song we sing that, they, that grace and uh, mercy and truth kissed together upon the cross. They have to both be present there for the gospel to be revealed. And so as we represent him, they must both be present in us. We did that series the holy cows, and we use that scripture from Timothy. It says the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth, and it has to be that. It has to be full of grace and full of truth, and you, friends, have to be full of grace and full of truth, and that is, in those two words, we see the reason Christ came and an explanation of the gospel. He's full of grace means that we don't have to get it right before we come to them. There was a story some time back about a tabloid, one of those um, newspapers that likes to write gossip, that offered a million dollars if any sexual scandal could be, any proof of sexual scandal could be given about one of the nation's leaders, leading politicians. And in fear of what would come out, one of the politicians who had been involved in some scandal ended up resigning. And it probably is the right thing for him to do. He had broken trust and he ought to have resigned. But imagine somebody put that reward out for you. Imagine somebody offered a million dollars for any dirt that could be found about your life. Who, who of us would stand up under the scrutiny of that? Friends, I wouldn't. I mean, I know what I've been forgiven. I, I look back upon my life and there are things that I'm, 
that I, I, I no longer carry the shame of it. I've been, I've been cleansed of that. Thank God he's released me of that. But, but I am ashamed. I wouldn't want, I'm not going to go around going, hey, this is what I did. And I want to, you know, yeah, yeah. Like that. No, I mean, it's like, it's like, thank God he set me free from it. Thank God I don't carry the guilt and the burden of that. But the, the Christ being full of grace means that we can come and he receives us just as we are. One of the great mistakes we make is when we think, I'm going to get my life right, and then I'm going to come to Jesus. Friends, you've got no chance. You've got no chance of getting it right enough that it matters, that it makes any difference from where you are right now. Just come to him as you are. The second thing is that he's completely truthful, full of truth. We are, our sin is, com- is paid for. This thing's all over the place now. Our sin is paid for, and God keeps his promises. That's what it means when it says that he is full of truth. We heard the story of a, um, the king of Thailand, King Ram the Ninth, I think it's correct, who in 1988 turned 60. He died, I think it was last year. It was, was, it, was it this year that he died? I remember seeing it in the newspapers that he, he died. And um, so for his 60th birthday, he decided to carry out this act of amazing grace. And he, he, made, he, he released 30,000 prisoners from the jails. And up until that point, Thailand had a very small problem with AIDS, even though they had quite a vibrant sex industry. But in the prisons, AIDS was rampant. And so when he released these 30,000 prisoners from the prisons, they went and slept with many of the prostitutes who slept with many straying men who slept with their wives who affected their children. And within five years, one million people in Thailand were affected by AIDS. See, it's not... It's not grace and truth. It's not grace and truth. When, when I um, sweep your sins under the carpet by denying somebody else justice. So if you come to me, if, if Shayla has, has robbed Andy and you come to me and I say, Shayla, it's fine. I just want to release you. It's, it's fine. You're forgiven. How does that bring justice to Andy? And if I'm that kind of judge that I will, I'll show that favoritism, how does Shayla know that I'm not going to change my mind later on when, when her and Erica come before me? And I go, actually, you know what, Shayla? That thing you did in the past, now I'm counting it against you. We need to know that our God is just. And so when Christ died upon the cross, he bore all the sin and the punishment that it deserved. It was completely paid for. Justice is completely done. And he is, so God, will, he, he never sweeps stuff under the carpet. He doesn't just turn around and say, okay, we don't have to count that. It gets dealt with completely out in the open. It's like, a, it's like po- you know, one of the things we wish is that politicians would just be completely transparent. That's why I was thinking of the word transparent early on. And like stuff wouldn't be hidden away and like, okay, they're going to let different guys, we'll let you off this because if you let this thing happen and we'll give you this if you give us that, that doesn't happen with God. It's out in the open. You know exactly what's happening. So when we come before him, we can be confident. I know my sin has been paid for. Because Christ bore it upon the cross. I know that when God says that I'm forgiven, that he will never break his promise. It's completely true for me and in my life as well. Grace and divorce can never be, can ne- grace and divorce, grace and truth can never be divorced. Last scripture, 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I consider this to be a really significant scripture because you'll notice, and I've said this before, it doesn't say if we confess our sins, he is kind and merciful or loving and merciful and will forgive us. 
And, and you have to think to yourself, well, why doesn't it say that? Because surely it is out of his kindness and his mercy that he forgives us. But actually, he was already kind and merciful 2,000 years ago when Christ died upon the cross. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life, should not perish, but have eternal life. So that today, when we come to God with our sin, he no longer has to be kind and merciful to forgive us. He has to be, he's only being faithful and just because the work has been done by Christ already. It's a finished work that carries us forward. So God calls us to, be, to, be, uh, to continue to be the hands and feet of Christ on earth. We're to, we're to live our temporary life here, but like a lamp in a tent that shines that other can see, others can see our confession of Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're to proclaim it, and in our presence in a place, we're to represent Christ in every aspect of Him, in our proclamation, in our unity, and in our, the demonstration of the power of God. And we'd always carry the, the fullness of God's grace and of His truth in our lives. Won't you stand with me, please?